Good, enough, good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing we may be here again to join together to worship our triune God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory of the following announcements. Classes North will be convened to Lord Willing at 9am on Friday the 28th of April in the Free Reformed Church of Launceston. Family Stephen and Melanie Wilster have arrived with their attestation from the Free Reformed Church of Beldivers. We welcome this family to our congregation. Family Simon and Lisa Talagani with four baptised children have requested their attestation to the Free Reformed Church of Lagana. We wish them the Lord's blessing in the new congregation. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend Bellman, Minister Emeritus of the Canadian Reformed Churches. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from Psalm 8, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, please rise for the greeting of the Lord. Before his ascension into heaven, our Lord told his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's why the church confesses eagerly that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And this God greets us. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Let's sing in response to God's greeting, Psalm 19, the stanzas 1 and 3.
This love of God, our faith in Him, is not something unique to us, but something that's endured over the centuries and the millions around the globe. And so now with the church of all ages and places who may profess our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith, we do so with the words of the Apostles' Creed as put to music in hymn one. bow our heads in prayer. Lord, our gracious, faithful Father in Jesus Christ, we delight in the reality of knowing you, belonging to you, and delight that we're not unique in that. Thank you, Lord, for the glorious fact of a Catholic Church spread over the centuries and around the globe today. And Lord, we do acknowledge we have our moments when we feel isolated, even marginalized, very much in a minority in our present civilization. We acknowledge, too, that that sense of being minority discourages us. 
We recognize there's a task to raise an upcoming generation. And we need to do so in a world that, that doesn't acknowledge you. And to our thinking that complicates the task and makes the future look somewhat dark. And so, Lord, we praise you that you gather us together around your word. So many of us in this building, and yet in faith, connected with countless around the world and over the centuries. We pray now that you will open your word for us. That you will encourage us by its proclamation so that we may be strengthened to persevere and to carry on with optimism in the lives you give us to live. Lord, there are no secrets from you in any of our lives, our families. You know where there is hurt, where there is grief, where there is anxiety, where there is stress. Open your word, we pray, and comfort and strengthen us. Give your servant grace to bring the word and bring it in a fashion pleasing to you. And open our hearts to receive the word and receive it in a fashion pleasing to you. And Lord, even as we pray for your blessing on our time together this afternoon, we also pray that you will be with all across the land and around the globe whom you have called to preach the word. And we pray that all charged with preaching the word indeed may preach the word. That the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ may go forth mightily, and we pray that it bear rich fruit, for this is your world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you now to take your Bibles. And read and turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. I'd like to read the verses 6 through 13. Revelation chapter 14, beginning at verse 6 through to 13. And here the word of our God reads as follows. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Yeshua made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. 
and other angel, a third, who follow them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of the torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, those worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those that keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirits, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Thus far, brothers and sisters, the reading from God's word this afternoon, and you will notice as we read through this, the reference to multiple angels, which raises the question, what's the task of angels, what do they do? Well, let's sing of that. Psalm 103, the stanzas 8 and 9.
Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, I may this afternoon proclaim to you the word of our God. As we could read it from Revelation chapter 14, the window I would like to use to open up that passage is verse 12, the first part of the verse where we read, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. And we read that, and here in those words, a mandate, a calling to endure. And to endure, we understand, in the context of the paragraph we read together. In point of fact, the Greek does not have the words a call. The Greek says here, the verses 6 through 11, is the endurance of the saints. Undoubtedly, because there is that endurance of the saints, the saints also have a calling to work with. So you can go with either translation. But the point here is, that first of all, the Holy Spirit's giving a statement. He's giving a promise. Saints endure. And that's something that we're needing to take to heart in a world of discouragement, headwinds, as we would call it. We appreciate encouragement, a statement of promise concerning endurance. The statement of promise, as I indicated, is rooted in the words of verses 6 through 11. A series of verses that speak about angels. Now, I've never seen an angel. And I suspect that's true for you too. Then again, I've never seen the wind. But I've certainly seen the effect of the wind. And the point is the same in relation to angels, though we have not seen them, the Lord would tell us what is the effect of the labors of the angels. And it's that effect that's so delightfully encouraging. And so I summarize the sermon this afternoon with this theme, the activities of God's angels in today's world encourage the saints. In unpacking that theme, I ask your attention for three points. The first is, what are these angels doing? In second place, why is their message powerful? And in third place, how do we respond? So the first question that needs our attention is, what are these angels doing? Angels, we just sang from Psalm 103, are ministering spirits. They are to serve and minister before him. And him, we understand, is the Lord God. 
Or to say it in the words of Hebrews chapter 1, concerning angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve those who are to obtain salvation? Ministering spirits sent forth to serve those who are to obtain salvation. Those who are to obtain salvation is the saints. That's what this passage is about, the endurance of the saints. Angels are sent, we understand, by the exalted Christ, for the benefit of his people. We've got three angels here. We're introduced to the first one in verse 6 with the words, I saw an other angel. The word an other sets this angel apart from previous angels mentioned in the revelation John received. We need not go into that angle of things, what the other angels might be. But of significance is that this angel John now sees is flying. Directly overhead. And we picture that and we say, there is an angel. That's what John's seeing. Given that he's sent from the sender, Christ in heaven, to the saints on earth... The default in our heads is that he's traveling vertically, coming from heaven to earth. But that's not the point that John wants to make here. He's flying directly overhead, and yet not in that little bit of airspace above John on the island of Patmos. But he's flying in the skies above us, anywhere and everywhere. We've got to think horizontal. And I dare to say that because at the, a little bit later in the verse, he's meant to proclaim to every nation and tribe and language and people. And so congregation, go ahead and, and picture in your mind that in the days of John, when he's receiving this vision, this angel is flying to Rome then to Athens, then to Cairo, and to Jerusalem. But the Greek wants us to know he's not just doing this for a brief period, but constantly. So throughout the New Testament dispensation, so go ahead and picture this angel flying to the civilizations of China, of South America, of Australia, He's even busy today flying to New York, flying to San Francisco, to Sydney, to the remotest villages of the Amazon, to the towns of PNG, and to Southern River. It's an action-packed picture that John wants us to see, that the Holy Spirit shows John. He goes to every tribe, nation, people, language, 
on Earth. And the question that arises is, so, so as this angel's flying hither and yon, what's he seeing? What's happening on planet Earth? And here's where we need to work with the fact that this is Revelation 14. And it follows the section of Revelation that begins with chapter 12. And I cannot take you through detail through chapter 12 or 13. But you'll be aware, I dare say, that chapter 12 is about the dragon who had sought to devour the male child as soon as he was born, and the dragon is Satan. But the dragon wasn't able to devour the child. The child was caught up to God and to his throne. We understand that's Jesus Christ. And then Revelation 12 continues with, there is war in heaven, and the ascendant Christ, with his angels, expels the dragon, Satan, from heaven. He's booted out. And he's booted to the earth. Which is why, the, why the, the, the Spirit can say, chapter 12, verse 12, Woe to you, O earth and sea, the devils come down to you in great wrath. And that describes the reality of the New Testament dispensation. An angry devil, frustrated at his defeat, doing his thing on planet Earth. And what's the thing he's doing on planet Earth? And the passage tells us he pursues the woman, the offspring of the woman. Chapter 12, 17, the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. And that's you and me. And chapter 13 follows with the dragon conjuring up a beast from the sea and a beast from the earth. His side kicks to help him in the attack against the church of Jesus Christ. And as you read chapter 13, and again it's material that describes what's happening in the course of the New Testament dispensation, what you find is the dragon appears to be successful. The whole human population, from what it looks like, is worshipping the beasts. Guess what we're seeing in our day and age, no? And not just in our day and age, but it characterizes the generations of New Testament history. But this angel, as he's flying, is seeing what's happening on planet Earth. Now, what's his task? Sent by God to serve those who are to obtain salvation. So how does this angel go to serve the beleaguered church? Well, 
we would say we'd love this angel and the other angels to do exactly the same as happened in chapter 12 verse 7 make war defeat the dragon and expel him from planet earth how we'd love that but it's not what happens what happens instead look at chapter 14 6 this angel has an eternal gospel that's what he's carrying with him we understand what that eternal gospel is that's the triumph of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and part and parcel of that eternal gospel is that Christ is ascended and Satan's booted from heaven and so what's this angel do with that eternal gospel? The passage says he proclaims it. And so I read in verse 7, he said with a loud voice. A loud voice? So as everybody of every tribe and people and race hears that proclamation of the eternal gospel. And he adds... The command to fear God, to give him glory, because he says the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? If Christ is triumphant, if Satan's defeated, then why should anybody on planet earth go and worship the dragon and the beasts? That's clearly a losing course of action. And hence the proclamation. Everybody, fear God. Worship Him. Not Him. And we read this and we say, that's nice. But we've got a couple of problems with this. And the one is, where's the evidence that the angel, in fact, is making such proclamation in today's world? We're thinking, it would do Perth a world of good to hear this proclamation from the angel. Fancy that if that happened in town. That would make folks sit up straight, wouldn't it? We haven't heard that. And it kind of makes us wonder then, what's this about? This is a vision, my brothers and sisters, in which the Lord is telling us something very concrete and real that's valid throughout the New Testament dispensation. And what is it? It is this, that the word of God, the eternal gospel, goes forth. 
to every tribe and tongue and race. And so already in the days of the Apostle Paul, he could say, Colossians chapter 1, that the gospel has already gone out to the ends of the earth. And you can think of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, yes, but the gospel goes out, and that includes the preaching of the apostle of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What he proclaimed in the towns of Ephesus and Colossae, etc., guess what happened? The locals chatted about it, and the tradesmen carried it hither and yon. The word went forth. And so it's been through the generations the word goes forth. And it's so true today also. Just think of the impact of the radio. In the proclamation of the gospel around the globe. The impact of television. The impact of the internet. And so... Half a year ago, Queen Elizabeth died. And more than half of the population on planet Earth listened to that funeral. What did they hear? The eternal gospel. They did. The thing is, there is no power of hell. There is no dragon, there is no beast able to stop the flight of the angel and the proclamation of the angel not able to stop it no more than you and I can stop the clouds or yesterday's thunderclaps. That gospel goes forth. And that is the point of what the Lord's telling us with this first angel. So there's our second problem. So it goes forth. But who, in fact, listens to the proclamation? There remains so much unbelief in this world. So how does it help? Which brings us to our second point. So why is the angel's proclamation so powerful? Verse 8 tells us a second angel follows the first. Picture that in the eye of your mind. The first one travels to this city and that city and that in our age, to New Delhi, New York, to San Francisco, to Sydney, to the Amazon. 
And the Lord says, a second angel is following him. As the first is proclaiming the eternal gospel, the Lord wants us to know that a second is saying, proclaiming, there's the word of God. What he's saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. That's what he says. Now we need to know that this is the first time Babylon is mentioned in the book of Revelation. It comes up many more times in the chapters that follow. But that also means that what we need to pay particular attention to is the Lord's own description of what Babylon is. What's it say? She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Babylon, of course, is a city. I'll come back to that in a moment. The reference to sexual immorality sends our thoughts to the seventh commandment, adultery. But that's not John's point here. The point is the first commandment, idolatry. And I say that because scattered throughout the Old Testament are numerous references to Israel being guilty of sexual immorality where the point of her immorality is that she's going to worship the Baals instead of being faithful to her covenant husband, the Lord. So, idolatry. And so too here. Now, Babylon, a city, a culture, a civilization. Any such grouping of people who would seek to build a paradise on earth without God. We don't need God. We can find our happiness in fill in the blank. Anything but God. Think Tower of Babel. By human labor, we can build a utopia, paradise restored. Think Nebuchadnezzar. He's standing on the roof of his palace one day, and looks out over the city and says, Is this not great Babylon which I have built by my own power? A glorious civilization, a glorious city, a glorious culture. All people can be happy. Paradise restored. That's Babylon. And then we understand that behind the mindset of Babel, behind the mindset of Babylon, the whole concept of we can build up a paradise on earth is the labor of the dragon with his two sidekicks, the beasts. Who needs God? We can figure out ourselves. 
But what did the first angel announce? The eternal gospel, which is Christ triumphant, Satan defeated. And so the second follows hard on the heels of the first, and he says, if Christ is triumphant, then fallen, fallen is Babylon. Is every civilization that thinks we can develop a utopia on earth without God? And then please notice, fallen is fallen is not a promise of what is going to happen, but is a description of present reality. Every such civilization is in principle fallen. Is that news? No, not at all. This is stuff, brothers and sisters, that anybody who knows history can understand and will admit. Just think, where is the Roman Empire? That was the civilization in John's day that announced the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. We can develop paradise ourselves. Did it happen? Mm, no. The elite had a very good life. That part's true, but it was built on the shoulders of the oppressed lower classes. And in the course of time, the whole thing imploded like a house of cards. Had to. Simply because humanity cannot build a paradise without God. French Revolution. What was the intent of the revolution back in 1789? Brotherhood. Liberty. Equality. Short for? We can build a utopia. Did it happen? Check your history books. What was Karl Marx's point? His whole ideology was directed to people, we can build a paradise ourselves. The worker's paradise. Stalin tried to implement it. Did it work? Check your history. How about Hitler's Nazism? Did it work? Fallen, declares that second angel. Fallen is Babylon the greatest. Any civilization that thinks to build up a utopia on earth. We don't need God. Fallen, inevitable, given the proclamation of the first angel.
Christ triumphant, Satan defeated. And I guess, I, I, I trust, we understand what this means for today's Western civilization. Is it going to survive? The answer is no. It's not going to survive. You cannot build a happy society without addressing the problem of sin. That's what Christ did. And so the third angel follows. And again, picture that. He's traveling behind the first and the second one. And what's he saying? He's saying, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hands, he'll also drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. I'm not going to pause now to talk about the mark on the forehead or on the hand. That's back in chapter 13. But the whole point is, of course, there's these people of Babylon who think we can build up a utopia here, and so they follow the lie, the teaching of the dragon and the beasts, including attaching themselves to this mark, whatever that might be. But the angel says, Babylon's fallen. Well then, if you're still going to go and worship the dragon and its beasts, I mean, how foolish can you get? Then you're going to, you're provoking the anger of the Lord who sent the first angel and the second angel. You've heard the gospel. You're rejecting the gospel. You're attracting to yourself the judgment of God. And what's the judgment of God like? You're wanting to build a paradise. That's the whole point of Babylon. You're wanting peace on earth. You're wanting rest in the midst of all the grief and the troubles and the tensions of life. But, but, but if you're not going to bow before the eternal gospel, then what's going to happen is you're going to receive in full strength the cup of God's anger. And what's that look like? Oh, eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now how's that peace? How's that rest? And so we understand, brothers and sisters, that altogether it is a, it is a call, the labor of these angels, an ongoing call for humanity to repent. And to take seriously the work accomplished on the cross of Calvary with all the blessed results of that. So, our third point. How do you respond? You see, I've never seen an angel... But the proclamation of the first angel, oh, we've seen lots of that. 
the collapse of all human civilizations, Babylon's, we've seen that. The promise that there is no rest for those who would seek to develop a paradise on earth. Oh, we can fill in the blank on that too. And think of examples. What's the point? Here is the endurance of the saints. How, my brothers, my sisters, how can you endure? How can the church of Jesus Christ carry on when you know that the dragon strives to devour you and your children and generations? How can you carry on? The Lord says, look at what's happened in the last 2,000 years. The eternal gospel has been proclaimed all over the world. Look at what's happened in the 2,000 years gone by. Every human civilization's collapsed. Look at what's happened in the last 2,000 years. Anyone who thought to build a utopia without God has ended up suffering. Check your history books. These things are not happening by chance. These things are the work of the exalted Jesus Christ as he gathers his church. And so he sends his angels with the proclamations. And you can see the evidence of their work. As you can see the evidence of the wind. And that says the Lord gives his children stamina. Endurance. Courage to carry on. This world, today's world, is God's world. And none, none, none of it is out of control. So why would you be discouraged? It's all unfolding as he intends. And to carry on, and suppose, just suppose, that you would get killed, martyred in the crossfire of the battle between the dragon and the Christ. Now, there's plenty of martyrs in the course of history. Does that give the lie to what's said here? Look at verse 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
Now hang on. The previous three voices are from an angel. A servant Christ had sent. But now, the voice is directly from heaven. And what's the voice saying? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed, the Greek word means happy. Happy are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Human effort? We can build up our own civilization. We can, we can find our own happiness, our own paradise. And the third angel said, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Ah, there's no peace there. There's no happiness. There's no blessedness. Bus says, says Christ from heaven, those who die in the Lord, they have happiness. They have peace. They rest from all their labors. In the midst of all the deceits and all the pressure in which the church may be, they receive the blessed reward of the presence of the Lord and are happy, deeply, eternally happy in the Lord. Do you doubt that? And John says, the Spirit has a word to say. Look at the end of the verse. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, right? Every word's confirmed. Now the Spirit confirms the voice, the first voice, and says, blessed indeed, happy indeed, that they may rest from their labors. Rest, quiet. Peace from their labors. What labors? Battling in the service of the Lord in the face of all the opposition of the devil and his dragons, his beasts. Rest. Their deeds follow them. All the fighting against the dragon and his beasts. Those deeds follow into God's presence. And such who die in the Lord rest eternally at peace. So tell me this then, brothers, sisters. We would all love paradise restored. Yeah? Of course we would. No more grief, no more pain, no more sorrow. Serve the Lord without sin. How do you achieve paradise? And Western civilization says, you can be happy. You can achieve a utopia. By doing the things the West is today doing. 
And the newest program, of course, is wokeism. And the Lord says, no. That's all collapsed because Christ defeated Satan. You hold on to the gospel of Christ's victory and you are assured rest for your souls, happiness eternal. Let's sing together Psalm 50, the stanzas 1 and 2. our heads in prayer again. Lord God in heaven, we delight in the glorious word that you give to us. As you describe what's happening 
in the New Testament dispensation and so too in our present civilization. Lord, we thank you that the word does go forth into this world. If not in the conventional ways of preaching, then in unconventional ways. The internet, the radio, the phone, the funeral. Thank you, Lord, that Satan cannot stop the proclamation of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that that proclamation may be heard in contexts of human failure where people try to develop a paradise and it falls apart with all the pain and the disappointment that follows from that an opening for the gospel and so Lord we also pray for our own civilization we pray that you work in such a way Lord God that there come greater opening for the gospel all our efforts as a nation as a civilization to produce happiness, equality, liberty, a utopia on earth without you. We confess it's bound to fail. The world in which we live, our civilization, we confess can't endure. Now we pray that the gospel go forth mightily. And use us for that too, Lord. And we thank you that we may hear the gospel Sunday by Sunday from this pulpit. And we pray that you will bless those who were mandated to preach the gospel from this pulpit. That they proclaim the gospel well, faithfully, boldly. And we thank you that as congregation we're allowed to be involved in mission work. Sending church for the work in Papua New Guinea. We confess it's a privilege. And then we pray that you will bless the work that we're allowed to do there. That you strengthen the missionaries, their families, and all involved in the work there. Well, Lord, that the eternal gospel go forth mightily in that land as well. Lord, there too, make your kingdom to come. But we're also aware you put us in this community you put us in this city in this country in this civilization and you supply us with so much in terms of heritage financial strength manpower and all of that in a context where there's so much spiritual poverty around us and so we pray Show us, Lord, the way you want us to go. To be a source of blessing to our community, be it near, be it farther away. 
then, Father, you also give us the privilege to be a congregation together. And we thank you that together we may rejoice with those who rejoice and sorrow with those who sorrow. And so, Lord, we also want to pray for the Jensen family, our sister Frances, her children in the generations. Lord, you give to them the difficult task this week of burying a loved husband and father and grandfather. A man who has also meant much in the churches. And we do thank you for what you've given to us in our brother. But Lord, the task of burying the body of a loved one is a difficult one. And so we pray for Sister Frances and the children that you, Lord, give the strength that's needed. We thank you for the glorious gospel that those who die in the Lord are happy, blessed. Their deeds follow them. The deeds done in that battle, Lord, that does give comfort, and yet the empty place is so real. Lord, will you provide. And we pray that as congregation we stand beside this family and support and encourage in their loss. You give to us the privilege of bearing each other's burdens in so many ways, also when it comes to finance. We have heard the deacons need more latitude, and we pray that you give us generosity, that the brothers can do well the task that's given to them to do. Lord, we thank you. This country is your country. This world is your world. We pray, make your kingdom to come. The day when Christ appears in glory, the day when every knee bows before Christ the King, and all acknowledge that worship belongs not to the dragon, to Satan, but only to Christ, the day when there's no more grief, no more tears, no more suffering or pain for those washed in Jesus' blood. Make that day, we pray, to come soon. Amen. In the service I'll offer you gifts and I'll be received with the support of the Ministry of Mercy. After the brothers have collected your gifts, we sing together hymn 69.
we go from here, brothers and sisters, into God's big world. He gives you his blessing. The Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. The Lord turns his face towards you and gives you peace. Amen.